welcome to another episode of the Main Volva, where I, a Main Volva, take you along for my spiritual learning journey. My name is Hilda, and I very much want to thank you for returning to my comfortable corner of the world for more Norse knowledge. Today is the first episode in several months that's not been covering one of the pagan holidays or Sabbaths. And, though next month we'll resume that series, this month I wanted to take a look at one of the better-known mythos, even known to a lot of people who have no idea about any of the others. Sometimes called the Twilight of the Gods, the Falling of the Gods, or the Norse Apocalypse. <laughs> That's right, today we're going to be learning about Ragnarok. So now, if you'd like, let's light ourselves a candle with the flame reminiscent of the flaming sword of Surtur and dig right in. Ragnarok, as it is commonly known, is the Norse end of days myth that tells of the downfall of the Aesir gods, men, and the world. It is sometimes considered the conclusion and aftermath of the death of Baldr, the most beloved of the Norse gods, while other times it is the follow-up of Loki's insults of the gods at the Feast of Aegir, Norse god of the sea. Some consider it to be a singular event, while others consider it to be cyclical, an ever-repeating cycle of fate. My goal today is to offer to you as much information as I could find in as easy a way as possible. To do this, I will be sticking with the idea that Ragnarok follows the death of Baldr, as I found it to be most common, and later on I will discuss some of the differences that arise among the sources. Following the death of Baldr, the Aesir gods were furious. Fuel is only added to their fire when it's discovered that none other than Loki was responsible for the death of the Shining One. Loki knew this, and furthermore, knew that they would come for his life for his deed. This is what caused him to flee the halls of Volhul in exchange for a secluded cave near Franengeir Falls. In this cave, he built a house with four doors, which allowed him to look in all directions at once. During the day, Loki would often shapeshift into a salmon and spend his time within the waters at the base of the falls. And in the evening, he would sit inside his house beside the fire pit, wondering what plans the Aesir would have in store for him. While he was consumed by these thoughts, he would entertain himself by weaving a fishing net from linen yarn. Odin soon discovers where Loki is hiding, leading the party of the gods to this place in the mountain. Loki saw them coming and threw the net into the fire before fleeing to the water of the falls. Kivasir, the wisest of the gods, entered the house first. He looked around, trying to determine where Loki may be hiding. He spotted the net in the ashes, realizing it was used for catching fish. The Aesir made their own net, casting it into the river was the god Thor, using it to drag the bed of the river. Loki initially evaded being caught by hiding between two rocks at the bend of the river. Next, the gods loaded the net with stones and threw it in a second time. Though he was nearly caught by this attempt, Loki managed to escape by jumping over the net and back towards the waterfall after being chased toward the river mouth and the ocean. The Aesir followed him, this time splitting into three groups. 
Two groups were on either side of the shore, while Thor stood in the middle of the river. Now there was nowhere for Loki to escape, except towards the sea, which was very dangerous, or to once more jump over the net, and this time that included Thor. But he was caught in Thor's hand as he attempted the ladder. Despite all the wriggling and attempts to escape, Thor gripped Loki by the base of his tail, stopping all further chances of escape. With Loki now captured, the Aesir could seek revenge for Baldur's death. Dragging him into the cave in which he had been hiding, they placed three large flat stones at the edges with a hole in the middle. Next, they called the sons of Loki, Vali and Narfi. Using magic, Narfi was transformed into a wolf and ripped apart his own brother. The gods then used his disemboweled guts to bind Loki upon the stones. Once more, magic was used and turned these guts into iron. And the goddess Skadi hung a venomous snake above the trickster's head. Loki's wife, Sigyn, stayed by his side within the cave, catching venom within a bowl. However, as time passes, the bowl becomes full, and she must empty it, allowing venom to fall upon Loki's face. The convulsions from the god make the earth quake so violently that, in Norse myth, this is how earthquakes were created. It is here where Loki will remain until Ragnarok. Sources for Ragnarok are primarily the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda, composed by Snorri Sturluson. Within the Poetic Edda, you can find Voluspor, the most complete retelling of Ragnarok. You can also find Vafthrusirsmol, in which Odin is a eh, participant of a wisdom contest, and within contains some conversation about Ragnarok. Finally, Lokasana, in a very small way, makes reference to Ragnarok in the form of cunning insults toward the gods and within them what happens during Ragnarok. There are other versions of the tellings of Ragnarok, primarily in the form of poems. Volospo and Skama, another version of Volospo called Hoxbok, Eriksmol, and Hakonormol. This episode is a bit of a special treat, as I have many translated segments to read to you today, all of which have been translated by Dr. Jackson Crawford. As he does, I'll be reading these excerpts in reconstructed Old Norse to the best of my ability. This first excerpt is in relation to the binding of Loki and appears in the Prose Edda and the prologue of the Poetic Edda. In this prologue, it says, Fra Loka en eptir theta falsk loke i franan gir forsi e laks liki thar toku e sir han han var bunden mith thorum sonar nara en narfi sonar hans varth at varki skathi tok e thorum og festi up ithir and lit loka throup thar or ethir. Sigin kona loka sat thar ok helt munlaug under etrit. En er munlaugen var 
full bara hon åt etrit. En lesan drap etrit aloka. Sa kittis kan sko hart vis. Ak satan ak skalf hjors ol. Sat eru nu kalathir. Landskjaltar. Loki hid himself in Frarenger's waterfall in the shape of a salmon where the gods took him from. He was bound with the guts of his son Narfi, and his son Narvi turned into a wolf. Skavi took a poison snake and fastened him up above Loki's face, and poison dripped down onto him. Sigyn, Loki's wife, sat there and held a basin under the poison, but when the basin was full, she carried the poison out, and meanwhile the poison would drop on Loki, and Loki would jerk so hard in reaction that for the jerking the entire earth shook the and Loki would jerk so hard in reaction that from the jerking the entire earth shook. These are now called earthquakes. Sometime after the binding of Loki, the warnings of Ragnarok will begin. There will be heard a crowing of a rooster within each of the three worlds where the supernatural beings live, Ausgardr, Jotunheimr, and Hel. In Hel, Garmer will break loose from his chains. The massive wolves, Skol and Hati, whom have been chasing the sun and moon since the beginning of all things, will finally catch their prey, throwing everything into an unending darkness. Fenrir will be free. The world serpent, Jormungandr, will writhe from the sea, shaking water upon the ground and freeing Loki from his bonds. The maw of Fenrir stretches so far that, while the bottom jaw is upon the ground, the upper reaches the cosmos, ripping them apart and freeing Surt and his fire giants from Muspel. The giant ship Nagalfar will launch from Jotunheimr, led by Loki, and all of the monsters and dead of the underworld. Odin will gather his 800 eternal warriors, known as the Einherjar, and ready themselves for battle. Heimdallr will blow his Gjallarhorn to warn of the coming of the end. In the land of men, they will be ravaged by earthquakes, and, though they will come to an end, they will be followed by the terrible winter. Fimbulvether most often translated as Fimble Winter, will begin. A terrible season of three back-to-back -back winters with no summers in between, causing even more conflict and chaos among men. Brudur Munu Beriosk Ok Ak Bunum Vertha Munu Sistrungar Sifium Spila Hart er ehemi Hurtormer Mi Mikil, Skegold, Skalmuld, Skildir, Eru, Klufnir, Vindul, Varguld, Arthur, Veruld, Stefisk, Mun, Egi, Mather, Uthrum, Thirma. Thirma. Brothers will fight one another and kill one another. Cousins will break peace with one another. The world will be a hard place to live in. It will be an age of adultery, an age of the axe, an age of storm and of wolves. 
Shields will be cloven before the world sinks in the sea. There will be no man left who is true to another. While men are dying, slain in battle or by starvation, there will come to be no life left on Midgard as the battle of the gods begins. All enemies have gathered in Asgard at the plains of Vigvisir. With all gathered, the gods will face off against one another in the plains of Vigvisir, sometimes called Oskopnir or Oskap. Freyr faces Surtur, though he is unarmed, having given his sword to his messenger Skinir. He will fall. Hjormungandr faces Thor, and they are mortal enemies. The snake will die, but before Thor can take nine steps, he will die from the cloud of snake venom. With this death, the humans will die out. Odin faces Fenrir, riding his horse Sleipnir and carrying his famous spear Gungnir, but he will be swallowed whole. To avenge him, Vidar, who was born for this purpose, sticks a sword through the heart of the wolf or will rip his jaws in twain. These are the three primary battles that are mentioned in all sources. However, there are a few that are otherwise mentioned. An elegant battle will take place between Loki and Heimdallr. There is not much evidence or reason seen for this. They have fought before in Hustropa. And finally, Tyr is sometimes noted as fighting Garmr, the wolf of the realm of the dead. When these battles are done, Surtur plunges his sword into the earth, and everything burns, even the mighty tree Yggdrasil. When Surtur's flame goes out, some of the gods will return. In Volusbal, there is mention that some gods will re-emerge after the events of Ragnarok. These are the innocent gods. Baldur, Hodor, Modi, and Magni, the sons of Thor, who will inherit Mjolnir from him. Vidar and Vali, as well as Honir, a mysterious creature that has something to do with the creation of man. The gods will come to live in a wonderful place called Gimle, where wheat will grow without having to be sown, waterfalls will flow, and wild animals will eat the fish in the rivers, which are also available for human consumption. These remaining gods will gather and pass on the stories of the former pantheon in the plains of Edeval. Humanity, too, will live on through Lif and Lifthrasir, life and pulsing life. They will survive in a place called Hodmimir's Forest, unidentifiable as any other place within the mythology. As the final stanza of Volaspo says, Thar Kumar Indimi Dreki Fliugandi Nathar Franan Nathan Fra Nithafium Ber Sir E Fiothrum Fligir Vul Ifir Nithogur Noi No Moon Ho Sokvask. There comes the dark dragon flying down from the dark mountains. In its feathers, corpses, and now she must sink. She, in this context, refers to the Vola, who is narrating the poems and tales within Volospol, 
And in this instance, she refers to herself in the third person. With yet another mention of the vulva, who apparently have a far more prominent role in the mythologies and storytelling than I thought. As promised, we can now take a look at some of the differences between the translations and tellings of several parts of this recounting. In regards to the beginning, the very start, according to Snorri Strolson, the primary difference between these tellings is that Loki is being punished for the death of Baldur, where, in the poetic era, Loki is apparently being punished for insulting the gods during Aegir's feast. Regardless, it is stated like this by Snorri in the prose edda. Nu var Loki tekin grithlaus og farit med han e heli nokurn. Tha toku ther, theryar helur og setu a, eg og lustu rauf a heluni veri. Tha varu teknir sinir loka, voli og nari etha narfi. Brugthur esir vala i vargsliki og reth han i sundur narfa brugthurn sin. Tha toku esir tharma, hans og bundu loka meth ithir tha thrigia egstena. Stender ein undir herthum, anar undir lendum, frithi undir nisfuthum, og erthu thou bound at jarni. Tha tok skati etrorum, og festi up ithirhan, ska et etrit skildi, derhjumpa or orhuminum i e lit honum, en sigin konahas, stender hja honum og helder, munlag under e tørderopa. En tha er full er munlagen, that gengir hon og sler ut e trinum, en metan derip, e trit e an lit honum. Tha kipsik han ska hart vith, at jorth ur skelfir. Þatt kelith þér landskjálpta, þar líger hann í bundum til regnarokurs. Now Loki was waken without mercy, and he was taken into a certain cave. And then the gods took three flat stones and set them at each edge. They punched a hole in each stone. Then the sons of Loki were taken, Vali or Nari and Narfi, and the Aesir gods turned Vali into the shape of a wolf, and he tore apart Narfi, his brother. And then the Aesir took his intestines and bound Loki with them on the stones. One under his shoulders, one under his groin, and one under his knees, and the intestines turned to iron. Skadi took a poison snake and fastened it up over him so that the poison would drip out of the snake and onto his face. Sigyn, his wife, stands next to him with a basin under the poison drops, but when the basin is full, she goes and throws out the poison. Meanwhile, the poison drops onto his face then, and in reaction, he jerks so hard that the entire earth shakes, and there he lies in his bonds until Ragnarok. The details of each telling have similarities. The three flat stones, the intestines acting as rope,
Skavi Hanging the Snake, The Death of Loki's Sons, and the first and only appearance of his wife, Sigyn. And also, some differences. Loki is taken from his sleep, opposed to being fished from the river, and Vali has an additional name, Nari. And in Volspol, there is something else. Following the death of Baldur, it reads, Hat sahun ligya undir thera lundi, legyar liki loka athikyan. Thar sitor sigin, fegi un sinum ver vel gligiot. Vitus er en etha fuat. She saw lying under a grove of hot springs, one with a body of yearning, none other than Loki himself. There Sigyn sits, though she is not well gladdened by her husband. Do you know it yet, or what? In the Hofsbolk version of Volospol, there's yet another look at the binding of Loki. Thau, kiau, vola, vigbun, snua, heldir, varu, harthgur, Hooft or thurmum. Thar sitter sigin, fegi un sinum, ver vel gliuth, vituth er en etha fuat. The bonds of Vali were made rather hard of guts. There sigin sits, though she is not well gladdened by her husband. Do you know yet, or what? For all these tellings, it is difficult then to determine which details are exactly correct or original. And, furthermore, there's a great deal of questions that do not otherwise have much evidence throughout the rest of the sagas. Why is Sigyn, for example, the one who sits with Loki, when she never appears within the rest of the sagas? Why is it Skadi that ties the snake above Loki's head? Then, there is one single notation of Skadi speaking about Loki being bound to a sword opposed to stones, which brings forth further questions. Overall, in my opinion, Loki being bound could be in response to both offenses, insulting the gods and the death of Baldur, as he was the direct conflict within both mythos. Other noted differences include, primarily, that Vidar, in some tellings, wears a magical boot made of all of the discarded leather and shoe trim discarded by man, and this gives him immense power, enough so to kill the wolf Fenrir and rip his massive maw in two. This is also depicted on the Godfirth Cross, 300 years before Snorri wrote the Prose Edda. <laughs> Taking a brief break before going forward, letting our minds rest for a moment, let's take a look toward the present with this month's Facts and Finds segment. Within the article titled, Groundbreaking DNA Study Finds Vikings Weren't All Scandinavian, via Archaeology Blog on Blogspot. It states, a six-year research project published in Nature Today debunks the modern image of Vikings. Dr. Daniel Lawson from the University of Bristol played a pivotal role in the international research led by the University of Cambridge and the University of Copenhagen. According to Dr. Lawson, the Vikings have an image of being fierce raiders, and they certainly were. What was more surprising is how well they assimilated other peoples. Scottish and Irish people have integrated into Viking society well enough for individuals with no Scandinavian ancestry to receive a full Viking burial in Norway and in Britain. 
we've studied two Orkney skeletons from Viking graves with Viking swords who share ancestry with present-day Irish and Scottish people who could be the earliest Pictish genomes ever studied. People in Scandinavia during the Viking Age were relatively similar, but we developed advanced methods to separate their ancestries. This showed that Norwegians predominantly went to Ireland and Iceland, whilst Danes came to England, he said. But Vikings were often diverse, with ancestry from all over Scandinavia and the British Isles found in the same raiding party. The Vikings coming to Britain and Ireland were part of a wider migration spanning several centuries. The Viking Age refers to a period from AD 800 until the 1050s, a few years before the Norman conquest of England in 1066. The Vikings changed the political and genetic course of Europe, with Knut the Great becoming King of England, Leif Erikson venturing to North America 500 years prior to Christopher Columbus, and Olaf Tyrgvason is credited with taking Christianity to Norway. We didn't know genetically what they actually looked like until now. We found genetic differences between different Viking populations within Scandinavia, which shows Viking groups in the region were far more isolated than previously believed. Our research even debunks the modern image of Vikings with blonde hair, as many had brown hair and were influenced by genetic influx from outside of Scandinavia, the article states. The International Academics team sequenced the whole genomes of 442 Viking Age men, women, and children from their teeth and petrous bones found in Viking cemeteries. DNA from the remains of a boat burial in Estonia led to the discovery that four Viking brothers died on the same day. These scientists also revealed male skeletons from a Viking site in Orkney, Scotland, were not genetically Vikings, despite being buried with swords and other traditional Viking memorabilia. There was no name for Scandinavia during the Viking Age, but the research study showed that Vikings from what is now Norway traveled to Ireland, Scotland, Iceland, and Greenland. The Vikings from Denmark traveled to England, and Vikings from Sweden went to the Baltic countries in their all-male raiding parties. Dr. Ashot Margarin, assistant professor at the Section for Evolutionary Genomics Globe Institute in the University of Copenhagen said, We carried out the largest ever DNA analysis of Viking remains to explore how they fit into the genetic picture of ancient Europeans before the Viking Age. The results were startling, and some answer long-standing historical questions and confirm previous assumptions that lacked evidence. DNA from Viking remains were shotgun sequenced from sites in Greenland, Ukraine, the UK, Scandinavia, Poland, and Russia. It was also determined that the Pictish people became Vikings without genetically mixing with Scandinavians. Scandinavian diasporas established trade and settlements stretching from the American continent to the Asian steppe. They exported ideas, technologies, language, beliefs, and practices, and developed new socio-political structures. Importantly, our research shows that Viking identity was not limited to people within Scandinavian genetic ancestry, said Professor Soren Sindbeck, archaeologist from Mosgard Museum in Denmark. This is the first time we can take a detailed look at the evolution of variants under natural selection in the last 2,000 years of European history.
the Viking genomes allow us to disentangle how selection unfolded before, during, and after the Viking movements across Europe, affecting genes associated with important traits like immunity, pigmentation, and metabolism. We can also begin to infer the physical appearance of ancient Vikings and compare them to Scandinavians today, said Assistant Professor Fernando Racimo, lead author based at the Geogenetics Center in the University of Copenhagen. The genetic legacy of the Viking Age lives on today, with 6% of people of the UK population predicted to have Viking DNA in their genes, compared to 10% in Sweden. In closing, Professor Villerslev concluded, The results change the perception of who a Viking actually was. The history books will need to be updated. Welcome back, everyone, to our regularly scheduled programming. I'm going to jump right in now with a quote from norsemythology.org. I would give the appropriate credit if only there were one. I can only say that this came from their website, and if this is you, thank you very much. I found it quite poetic. On the subject of Ragnarok, of course, we're now turning to what Ragnarok meant to the Viking people. In addition to being a prophecy about the future that revealed much about the underlying nature of the world along the way, the myth of Ragnarok also served as a paradigmatic model for human action. For the Vikings, the tale didn't produce hopelessness as much as inspiration and invigoration. Just as the gods will one day die, so too will each individual human being. And just as the gods will go out and face their fate with dignity, honor, and courage, so too can humans. In this view, the inevitability of death and misfortune should not paralyze us, but should instead spur us to hold noble attributes and do noble deeds, the kind worthy of being recounted by bards many generations after we ourselves are gone. There must have been some deal of impact to the Norse people, as there is at least one prominent archaeological find that documents the events of this myth. The Gosforth Cross, from early 900s in Cumbria, England, depicted scenes of both Norse and Christian apocalyptic events side by side. As mentioned previously, this was many, many years before Snorri Sturlson even documented the event in writing. So now, there's little left to be said. Is Ragnarok cyclical? According to Dr. Crawford, in the end, it appears that good and evil are both reborn in this instance. There is nowhere in Old Norse that would indicate that Ragnarok is a cyclical cycle over the notion that it is but a singular rebirth. The idea, according to him, is itself not very accurate. With the two versions of the myth, one ending all things, and the other that's followed by the rebirth of all things. According to some, this rebirth may have been a latter addition during the transformative Christian Scandinavia to help the Norse people better adapt to the so-called evolution of their religion. However, according to others, the Ragnarok myth is less of something that has already happened and more of a script of something to come. The world comes back after the ashes settle. The end of this world, like so many others, is also a beginning. It is a cyclical cycle, a circle. Destruction is necessary for creation, and rebirth can only happen with death. Before we round out this episode with a hearty goodbye, I wanted to give a few 
fun facts, end quote, about the Ragnarok myth that I thought were worth mentioning for a bit of fun. The first is funnier than the other two, that being that, after the rebirth of the world and the assembly of the new pantheon, the gods played a game. And this game that was played by them was likely a nod to a real Viking game called Toffel or Nafentoffel, one which I was gifted this past December from my husband, and though it lacks the distinctly golden figures, it is still an interesting game to play nonetheless. Secondly, Ragnarok has a few different names, Ragnarok being the most common, as I stated at the beginning, meaning events of the gods or fates of the gods, and the other that you may have heard once in this episode thus far, Ragnarokur which means Twilight of the Gods. That is why you may see it called such in some sources. The less and final fun fact deals with the ship Nagolfar, the one which Loki rides. Nagolfar means nail, and there was some debate whether this meant iron nails or, unfortunately, nails, as in fingers and toes. The latter is the building block of choice. This ship is constructed of the discarded, extra-long fingernails of the dead from hell. And here we again come to the conclusion of another episode. With the sunset at my back and the darkness setting upon me, I can assure you that I will be back next month with another episode, and it will be all about the pagan celebration of Beltana. Once more, thank you for joining me in my cozy corner of the world. Stay tuned for vocabulary, credited sources, and a truly criminal podcast trailer by my friends B and Jackson of Homegrown Horror. Thaka Thayer Firir Ogvith Sjongsnaust. This episode's vocabulary includes Ragnarok, which means events of or fates of the gods. Ragnarokr, which means twilight of the gods. Vigurithir, which means plain where battle surges. Einherjar, which means army of one or those who fight alone. Leif, meaning life. Leifthrasir, meaning pulsing or surging life. Nagolfar, means nail. Fimbulvetr, means awful great winter. And Hnafentafel, means fist table. This is Homegrown Horror. I'm a mainer. Does anybody do ticks, Bridget Fonda? I have very terrible taste in TV and apparently I also have terrible taste in movies. These creamy mouths, yeah, welcome! <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 did you sign that paperwork before you saw it? And I'm a dude from away. There's so many smutty nose. This whole place is filled with anacondas! Pokey, our dear Pokey. I'm not that nice of a person. And so we're gonna tell you about some spooktacular stuff specific <laughs> to Maine. The sources for this episode are Viking Archaeology Blog on Blogspot, NorseMythology.org, Skjaldan via YouTube, Dr. Jackson Crawford via YouTube, and Crash Course via YouTube. Music